Well, I'm wondering how we're all doing this morning. Are we, uh, do we already have all of our gifts purchased? Are we, can we at least say we're there? Anybody still have a little bit more shopping to do? Uh, yes, I, we were at, my wife and I were over at uh, the Oaks yesterday and ran into a family from the church and actually just a, a gentleman and asked him how his Christmas shopping uh, was going and he was just starting in that moment. And so I'm not sure how he's in the room right now, but not sure how that's uh, uh, played out for him. He's got some work to do. Uh, but anyway, excited to be uh, going on this kind of annual journey. And that's what we've called this series that we're in, Annual Journey Towards Christmas, because really that's part of our experience every single year is we have this journey leading us to the celebration of Jesus' birth and how we respond to that journey is kind of a, a bit in our, uh, our own hands. But here we've been going through just kind of learning from different characters in the Christmas narrative and their journeys till Christmas. We've already looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth. We've looked at the wise men. We've looked at Mary. And then last week we covered which group of people were actually the journey of the... Yes. Last service, they could not remember. They were just staring at me blankly. So that brings me great joy. Uh, so shepherds were last week. Uh, well, this week we're, we're going to be spending some time looking at the, the journey to Christmas of a gentleman by the name of Joseph. You may have heard of him before, the uh, adoptive father of Jesus, so not your average uh, Joe, a lot that we can learn. Uh, Do you like that? Uh, not your average Joe, a lot we can learn from him. Let me pray before we explore this section in Matthew. Lord Jesus, we uh, are so grateful for this chance to be together and even grateful for a chance to just slow down. I imagine for some in the room, it's even nice just to sit for a moment. We ask that in these moments that you'd meet us here, that as we open your word, that we'd encounter you, that you'd be, that you'd be speaking to us uh, directly this morning. We'd be able to put off distraction and uh, see what you have for us in the story of Joseph and his journey uh, to Christmas. We pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 1, if you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles there with me uh, this morning. But while we're doing that, I want to give a little bit of a background or a little bit about Joseph, some details, if you will, about his life. A lot of times he's kind of the ob obscure figure, kind of in the, in the background of the, the story, which is kind of interesting considering he is the adoptive father of the God of the universe. And here a little bit of background about him, first off, is uh, has a lot to do with his family background, his family history. In the whole first 17 verses in Matthew chapter 1, it takes the time to carefully outline the family lineage all the way back from Abraham, then to David, then to da from David all the way to Joseph. So this is a very important part of God's plan for sending a rescuer. If you remember with Abraham, he had promised that someday he would send a rescuer and it'd be through his family line. So God carefully has aligned this perfectly through 42 different generations. How crazy is that? Can you imagine the coordination that Almighty God had to do to bring this perfectly to pass 42 generations, the degree of coordination. I have a hard time getting my kids out the door to school in the morning, but his coordination is impeccable leading up to Joseph, who is the son of Jacob. We learn in Matthew 1 16, 
We learn a few other things about Joseph, just uh, some details. Uh, normally, when you're in a conversation, the first thing you uh, often ask is, well, what do, you, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Well, Joseph, like his father Jacob, was known to be a... Who could, nice, there we go. Uh, so he was a carpenter. And in that day and age, the word carpenter wasn't necessarily just somebody kind of crafting wood, but kind of a, more of a, a general tradesman of sorts. And so I was thinking he was kind of the, the chip gains of Nazareth. You know, I, I don't know if there's any uh, fixer-upper fans out there, but kind of the, uh, I'll admit I have a little bit of a man crush on that guy. He's got, he's got a pretty funny guy. Uh, but anyway, a chip gains of, of that day and age. So he's a carpenter from the town of Nazareth. We don't know a, a, a ton about Nazareth, the town. We just know that it was quite small. And it wasn't a town that was ne- necessarily held in high regard. In fact, when it was said that Jesus was from Nazareth, the response was, can anything good come from Nazareth? We're not exer- exactly sure why that is. Most is speculation. A couple other things is also known. We're going to see in Matthew 1.19 that he's faithful to the law. In other words, he's committed to God and his word. So uh, to some degree, we know that he's someone that's clinging on to the promises promises of God found in the Old Testament. And then here we're about to see in verse 18, kind of the the idea that he's not just uh, any guy. He's the supposed father of God in the flesh. The reason I say supposed father, Luke 3.23 says this, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. Now, why would it say such a thing, as was supposed? Because common folks would have assumed that he was the son of Joseph, but in fact, he was the son of the Holy Spirit. Let's start in verse 18 to see this play out. Verse 18, chapter 1 of Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, over the years, quite a few years of kind of schooling and doing different things, there was often a a preaching classes where they'd kind of have this same exact kind of a tool that they would present for somebody that communicates God's word. Maybe if you've uh, done any kind of classes that relates to this, the teaching they'd say, the hook, book, look, took. I don't know if anybody has seen this before. The idea is first, uh, at the beginning, you start with some kind of a hook to get somebody's attention, to grab their attention. And you can see kind of, it makes sense, grasp the truth, grapple through it, and then graft it into life. I never liked that at the end of it, somebody was took. Uh, Hopefully that's not how we feel here this morning. But the idea of hook is that at the beginning of any presentation, and this is the very start of the story, Matthew chapter one, the very first thing that they present to the, to the reader is something that has never happened prior and will never happen again in human history. What do we see here in the text? Jesus, it says, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. I'm going to stop there because really, isn't that, I mean, I don't know a ton about the birds and the bees, but I do know that this isn't how it typically works. It's not before you come together, it's after you come together. I've pieced that together so far in my process. But here, this was a, a lot of, for them to absorb. You think about that. For Mary and Joseph, this was, this was a big deal. 
That was a lot to process for them that they were about to give birth to God in the flesh as a virgin. Think about it. These were most likely teenage kids. I was doing a little research on it this week. In that day, day and age, that it was pretty commonplace that someone that was getting uh, married would be as young, the girl would be as young as age 12 to 13, and the boy just a few years older than that. Can you imagine? I have a 13-year-old son right now. He barely remembers to bring his lunchbox home from school. (laughs) Now, giving birth to Almighty God, like that's a big deal. I have a daughter that's about to turn 11 or 12, January the, glad I got that straight, January the 2nd. She's borderline insane. So all of these things, I love her. She's so fun. Uh, but, uh, But all of these things, you're like, what, how in the world How in the world could you entrust that to these teenage kids to be the parents of God in the flesh? How marriage worked in that day and age, just a little uh, research on this this week, was basically they would have the arranged marriages where the two fathers would agree on the, uh, the, the, the marriage of the, the two kids. I think it's a great idea. I think we should bring that back. Two fathers would decide this and how they would kind of uh, put this commitment or contract in place is the covenant was sealed with kind of the same idea of a, of a dowry. It was, it was called a mohar, not to be confused with Mopar, but there was an exchange of, of, of a gift that was given from the, from the bride, or, or I'm sorry, from the groom's father to the bride's father to secure the care of the wife in the future. Because if for any reason there was ever a divorce or if she was put off, there was really no future for a woman on the other side of divorce. So that dowry was paid to secure her care for the remainder of her days, kind of giving a glimpse of what was at stake for a girl that was divorced in that day and age. The reason I use the term divorce there is they're a little different from us in our engagement process. In our engagement process, present day, it's kind of uh, not that uncommon to have a broken engagement. But in that day and age, it was a legally binding commitment between two people. In order to separate, they would have to go through a divorce proceeding. Does that make sense? So they're, they're bound to each other, they're committed, and it, it would often be that that engagement period would last about one year long. At the end of it, about a year into it, and then that whole year, another side thing, they almost never spent any time together because they wanted to secure the purity of the two people that were getting married. So spending very little time together. At the end of the year, this is how the marriage played out, is they would have a huge feast and a celebration, and then finally the two would go together home to be each other to consummate the marriage. That was how the process worked there. As we progress in the story, it'll make a little bit more sense why I explain all of this. But either way, a pretty big ask for Joseph to buy the story that he's about to hear from Mary, take a look at how he responds to the news of his fiance being pregnant. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That was interesting to see how he responds here. This idea of putting yourself in Joseph's Joseph's shoes. You imagine him having that news. What did she have to say to him? She said, I'm pregnant, but it's from God. 
can you imagine giving that explanation to your fiance? Like, like how hard would that be to absorb that? You imagine the emotions that he must have gone through. Here's a chance for us to interact for a second. What do you think some of those emotions he would have felt would have been? Any thoughts? What are some emotions he would have felt with that news that your fiance is pregnant? Betrayal, anger, distrust, sorrow, confusion. I like that. That's a, that's a big one. All, all of those, I'm sure all of that anger, confusion, betrayal, all of that he must have gone through. But I love, as we're trying to apply some of these things to ourselves today, I love that on the other side of that was grace. On the other side of that was grace. So often we think that of emotions as being the bad thing. Emotions are not the bad thing in our life. It's how we respond to the emotions that, I ex- that we experience. I know we're going into the, the Christmas season, and uh, so often this season that's supposed to be marked with joy is so often kind of tainted with different things that kind of set us off, different things that get our emotions stirred up. My wife and I have a hard time even wrapping gifts together. Like there's, there's just a, a, a tension, a weirdness that's part of the Christmas experience. But what if us, like the story of Joseph, what if on the other side of this emotional experience, there was grace extended. You see, when we operate in the flesh, when this flesh is guiding us, when we just respond to things how we would normally naturally do, what, what do we hear? Hurt people, hurt people, right? Well, the, the, that's so often the response to emotion. But you see, when we've given our life to Jesus Christ, when he set up camp inside of us, when his Holy Spirit is reigning and ruling, what are we told in Galatians 5, 22? What happens is there's a different fruit that comes out of us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What I love about the story of Joseph is after he's going through this full gamut of the most emotional possible experience ever, What do we see wins in his life? Grace wins. Man, I think about how many relationships could be restored, could be healed, if on the other side of emotion was grace. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is operating and directing things in our lives. Give ourselves permission to feel, but also on the other side, offering grace. Here's an example of him doing that is he had the opportunity, it says, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. And that day and age, it was almost expected that, of course, you would divorce her. He's like, I'm going to divorce her, but I'm going to do it quietly because I care about her. Why, why does it say quietly? Because in that time, he could have gone the route of Deuteronomy 22, 23, and actually demanded her execution for her unfaithfulness. So there was a lot at stake here. He chose to extend grace. We could learn from that for sure. Continuing in the story, verse 20 says, but after he had considered this, considered what? The option of divorce. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
Love that, that our God and his kindness, he understands what we're able to handle and what we're not able to handle. He understood that this was a, maybe a little bit too big of an ask for a, a teenage boy to absorb. So instead he says, I'm going to come with a visit of an angel to make sure that he's clear that this is of God, that her, her story is actually accurate. Can you imagine the, the relief that Joseph must have felt on the other side of that? Oh man, thank you, God, that this is actually, her story is accurate, but still it doesn't change the fact that there needed to be some pretty drastic changes in Joseph's plans, right? Probably when he's thinking through what his future, what his life was looking like, and that's why I titled this, My Plans, God's Plans, Something Has to Give. So often in our life, we have this idea of how things are going to be mapped out and how they're going to play out in our life. And we come to realize, you know what? When we've submitted our life to Jesus Christ and his leadership, sometimes our plan is exactly opposite of what we thought it was going to be. Anybody have an amen for that experience in their life? Anybody find out that maybe your plan is a little bit different? And guess who has to budge in those scenarios? Guess who wins? He wins. We don't. And even, and I would say this, I bring it up as if this is something that's true only for somebody that's given their life to Jesus Christ. I would say even for somebody that hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ, they still come to the conclusion that they have little to no control over outcomes. Sure, they can control their behavior, but still the one that's driving the ship is God Almighty. And that's why there's so much friction and frustration in a life independent of God's leadership. Here, thankfully, Joseph chooses to actually enjoy the freedom that comes from releasing to God. Take a look at verse 22 as it continues. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When I was reading that little section this week, just in my study, it was one of those aha moments that I feel like I've needed to have that aha moment about 5,000 times in my life. The aha moment is this, that we are a part of a much bigger story than just us. Now, why do I say that? Look at what's happening here. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, the prophet that he's referring to is the prophet Isaiah that had prophesied perfectly 700 years prior to this, how this was all going to play out exactly to the T. Now, wait, wait, wait a second. You're like, well, so Mary and Joseph are just pretty much acting out in a play that God already wrote. You're like, yep, that's pretty much it. God had already ordered their steps. He had already set this into motion. He perfectly orchestrated all of it. And for the conclusion that those uh, that, uh, that we look at, uh, looking back at this now, the same conclusion should be like, wait a second, maybe out of the 7.7 billion people on this planet, this story isn't all about you. You are not the main character in the story. In fact, tell the person next to you right now, you're not the main character. Some of you find great joy in sharing that with the person next to you. The reason, the reason I say that, though, this is important. Okay, enough. They got it. Uh, the, the, reason, the reason I say that is there's actually freedom in that. 
to find out, wait a second, this isn't all about me. Look what's happening. Who's arriving here? They will call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Who do you think the main character in this story called life is about? He's, he's the main character. I'm not the main character. You're not the main character. There, there's one main character. All of human history, it all builds towards or looks back to the coming of God in the flesh. That's why our clocks, look at your watch right now. What, it's 1140 right now, uh, closer to lunch, right? But 1140, that tells you exactly how many minutes, how many hours, how many days, how many months, how many years have passed since what? The birth of Jesus Christ. Even our calendars scream to his existence. All of it points back to the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. So how do we respond to this reality that we're not the main character? This past week, I got to go to my uh, daughter, Alexa's. Uh, had a, uh, I was teased about her being crazy, uh, but, uh, but got to go to her uh, play at Hillcrest uh, Christian School this last week. And the way they had it set up is uh, kind of typical to a lot of plays that you know, kids plays that you go to is you had kind of one big choir that really most of the kids were all in and then like five or six kids with like speaking and singing parts. Well, my daughter was just in the main choir singing her heart out kind of uh, to, to the songs about Jesus, just celebrating. It was kind of a, a fun experience. And I asked her afterwards as kind of reflecting on our drive home. And I was like, hey, did, was it a big deal to you that you weren't like one of the like people in the main parts, like with any kind of speaking part or any kind of like key? She's like, no, I actually like just being in the background singing in the choir. I was like, huh. It's like, huh. Isn't that a little glimpse of what we're supposed to be okay with? Wouldn't it be awesome if we were okay not being the main character for once, for us to be, just be okay to be in the background, you know what, wherever God has placed us, to just be in the choir, just consistently singing about his goodness. Now, not, maybe not necessarily singing, actually, although maybe this is the time, if there ever was a time of the year you could get away with that, but just looking for opportunities to speak about his goodness, to declare his goodness to those around you, being in the choir and then, if God ever has a speaking part for you to play, he'll give you the words to say. You'll, you'll, you'll get the opportunity. He'll make it crystal clear. In this case, Joseph, in this dream, is given the key role that he's about to play. And we'll look in verse 24 to see how he responds. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Love that little description because if you're not if if, if you're not careful, you can blaze past those simple words. When he woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. Something noble about that, the fact, and a lot of times we'll say, like, well, if I had if the Lord visited me in a dream, I'd do exactly what he said too. Would we though? You know, would we? Or would we blame it on the bad Chinese from the night before? Uh, that's probably more likely. In this case, he chooses to what? He obey. He, he, just, he just does what he's told. Man, think about how much drama we could avoid in our lives if we just did what we are told 
did the things that we knew were scripture is already outlined, things that you're confused about. You can ask people, they'll tell you what you should be doing. And it's so often we get confused and get off track and you're like, oh man, if I could just go back to the things I already know to be true. Pretty awesome that Joseph, his response to all of this, even in the confusion, even in the frustration, even in all that, his response was obedience. And it wasn't necessarily easy to obey the thing he was asked to do. I was thinking about this, and this goes back to kind of my explanation of how marriage worked back then. Think about the process. So he was betrothed to be married. At the end of that betrothal process, what was the way that they would kind of build towards having what? Feast. I thought somebody was going to say sex. But here, they, 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 at, the end, at the end of that betrothal process, they would have a celebration, a big feast to party and to kind of, uh, kind of seal the deal, if you will. Think about this. Joseph and Mary, they're from the town of Nazareth. I was looking into Nazareth a little bit this week. Most archaeological digs that they found in the literal town of Nazareth say that this is a town of about 150 people. So kind of like smaller than this like little neighborhood here. 150 people. Do you guys think, just based on the way that kind of the rumor mill works, do you think the people in that town kind of got word that Mary was pregnant fairly early on? But yet, what happened? There's still the invite. Let's come together. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. Wonder how many people ignored that invitation. Wonder how quiet that celebration was, how awkward it was to still move forward with this, with this promise. His obedience took most likely unbelievable public ridicule on the other side of that. And then if you think about the other things he had to be obedient to too, he takes this bride of his on this adventure that God took him on to this little town named Bethlehem. This was about an 80 mile trip. And we learned that in that 80 miles, she was riding on what? A donkey for 80 miles. I couldn't ride on a donkey for one mile not being pregnant. Can you imagine 80 miles on a donkey being very, very pregnant? All of these things with a husband at her side saying, come on, you can do this. We got, God's called us to this. We can do this. We can do this. And then even his very last amazing act of obedience was going against the family grain with the name that he was given. I thought this was interesting. In that, in, in that day and age, a firstborn son was an important and, and crucial kind of in the exchange of kind of property and a, to pass on a family line. It was a big deal to be able to choose the name of your son. But no, even in that he submitted and said, we're going to call him exactly what the angel said, the name that we still sing about, we speak about, the name that speaks of God's rescue for mankind. I love this degree of obedience. We finished that series in the book of Acts, and I don't know if you remember on the very last Sunday of that series, we talked about the idea that those were the early chapters in the story of the church and kind of the initial getting started, started but it wasn't the end of the story. We're still writing later chapters in the account of the, the, of, of the church still today. I asked you guys a question. I said, you know, what would be the, the, the later chapters? What would have been written about Agora Bible Fellowship? And then I tried to even personalize it a little bit more and said, what would be written about you? What part would you play in that story of the later church? I was thinking about that same idea as we was reading the remainder of this section of scripture. I'm like, man, wouldn't it be sweet if the one thing 
that was written about you was, man, he sure was obedient. She sure was obedient. She just did exactly what she was told, exactly what the Lord called her to do. That's what she did. And that was what that little bit of what's said about Joseph in that story is. He just obeyed. He just did what he was called to do and otherwise was content just being in the choir. So his story, so similar to our story, just recapping just a couple different things. His emotions led to grace being extended. If we could adopt that even into the next couple days, how amazing that would be in the height of whatever emotional thing you're in the middle of. What if on the other side of that, it was grace extended to those that you love and care about? What about submitting my plans to his, the idea of, hey, maybe some of us have some ideas that we're just like, man, I'm doing this. I don't really care if it's got God's blessing. I'm just moving forward with it. What if we release that and said, man, God, I'm turning it over to you. What do you want me to do? Submitting my plans to his, being okay not being the main character. For some of us, that's no problem. Others of us are like, oh, that's so hard to let go but oh, the freedom on the other side of that to be okay with just being a player in the story and not the main character. And then lastly, if we were to be known for our our obedience, this is his journey. And man, I would love to see it be my journey to be your journey to Christmas as well. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, we thank you for this opportunity to look at this story and for Joseph's example for us today pretty cool character, although we don't learn a ton about a lot of details behind the scenes, but we do see some glimpses of really what we're called to be ourselves. Just faithful, to extend grace, to be patient, to respond to emotions with, uh, with kindness. And God, I just pray that as we're going into this season, that as we look at these different characters, there might even be opportunity for us to absorb some of these characteristics. And we know that Really, the main thing in all of that is when your spirit is reigning and ruling in our lives. That's how this is possible. God, we thank you so much for just this account, this story, the greatest story ever told, the story of you breaking through, coming to our rescue. Pray for any person that's in this room that's never embraced that rescue. They wouldn't sneak past another Christmas season putting that off, ignoring it, hoping that they'll address it someday in life, that this would be the year for someone in this room where they make the choice to embrace Jesus Christ as their personal rescue, one that takes the separation between them and God and it allows the sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross to be payment for that. We just pray that that would uh, really rattle in folks' minds this uh, season if they haven't made that decision that all of this would point back to you and your glory. We celebrate you now in song. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Just a couple reminders for you tomorrow if you'd like to come together. We're meeting at four and at six o'clock for just a one final Christmas celebration. Christmas Eve, it'd be great to see you there. Otherwise, if there's anything we can be praying for you about specifically, we'll have a couple of volunteers here up at the front after the service. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an amazing Christmas. Thanks so much.